Hey, Nothing Is Wasted family, I wanted to interrupt this conversation for a brief moment to let you know about a powerful resource that we have available for you. It's called the Pain to Purpose course. Now, I know many of you guys have heard of this, but in case you're new and you haven't heard of this, I wanted to make sure that you were in the know about this. Now, listen, if you were to ask me this one question, Davey, what's the most important Nothing Is Wasted resource that I should engage with? I would tell you, hands down, the Pain to Purpose course is it. Thousands of people now have found tremendous healing and breakthrough in their valley by walking through this course. Now, it's emotionally and spiritually intense, but I promise you it's well worth it. The Pain to Purpose course is an 11-video online course where I'll help you do four major things. Okay, the first one is this. I'll help you remove the debris of crisis in your life. So like trauma, tragedy, major life transition. The second thing is I'll guide you through the steps of repairing the emotional, relational, and spiritual broken pieces that were left in the wake of your trauma. Third, I'm going to lay out for you how to reestablish a firm foundation for a healthy and whole life. And then finally, I'll help you discover and step into the missional and redemptive purposes God has for you out of your trauma. Over the past several years of hosting this podcast, I've noticed some things. No one's pain journey is the same. However, there are some common denominators that every pain to purpose story shares. And there are some common things that everyone who goes from tragedy to triumph have to do. So my team and I took those common denominators and we distilled them into an 11 video curriculum to give you the handles, or as we call them, waypoints that you'll need in order to walk through your unique pain journey. This course is essentially an entire year's worth of counseling condensed into 11 videos and the fraction of the cost of counseling. I believe counseling is, is very important to your healing journey. If the Pain to Purpose course had existed back when I lost my wife in 2015, I still would have sought counseling, but I wouldn't have had to have spent so much time or money with that counselor because I would have been light years ahead of things just from taking the Pain to Purpose course. So I'd love to invite you to begin accessing the course today. You can go to course.nothingiswasted.com to do that. Again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com. And as a little bonus, I convinced my team to let me give you a discount. So right now for a limited time, you can get $25 off the purchase of the course by using the promo code podcast at checkout. So again, that, that promo code is podcast. Maybe the course isn't something that you need right now, but we do have an option to purchase it as a gift for someone in your life who does need it right now. So just make sure you select the gift certificate option while you're purchasing that. So again, that's course.nothingiswasted.com and use the code podcast to get $25 off. Now back to this conversation. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your co-host, Aubrey Sampson. And I'm another co-host, Davey Blackburn. Hey, it's good to be back. That was so much fun, Aubrey, to hear you and Eric carry some of that for the past, what, four or five weeks. 
Yeah, that was so. I mean, we missed you. Like, I, you know, you're oh, not replaceable, yeah, so we'll just be very clear about that. But it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was fun to get to know Eric and fun to have some conversations with him. And I, I mean, you know, he and his wife have been through so much pain yeah. and suffering as well. Mm-hmm. And so, what a beautiful, what a beautiful gift he brought to Nothing Is Wasted the past few weeks with yeah. his own story, but then with co-hosting with me, that was really fun. Yeah, super exciting. And I want everybody to understand kind of what's going on in some ways, as much as we can reveal behind the scenes. We're architecting a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of stuff happening right now. Yes. And really it's an effort to bring you more resources for hope and healing. And in order to do that, we want to bring you more voices. We want to connect you with more people. You know, we've, Mm -hmm. I've said this Aubrey since the beginning of this, that when Christy and I founded nothing is wasted ministries, we didn't want it to be just about the Blackburn story. Yeah. You've always said that. And we want it. we know that our story is kind of the tip of the spear for that. Mm -hmm. It's been a catalyst for that. But 10, 15 years down the road from from now, we want people to, to refer to Nothing as Wasted Ministries as an incredible resource in their trauma, tragedy, major life transition. And then almost right. scratch their head and go, wait a minute now, who who founded that? What, like, Who's that? The who head was of behind? that? Oh, yeah, that's, right. a, that's a cool Genesis story, how that happened. Mm-hmm. Wow, how God used that awful thing that happened in that family's life and turned it around for good. And now years right. later, generations later, there's still people who are being impacted. And what we realize is as a, what's necessary in order to facilitate that is bringing more and more voices mm. to the equation. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, you know. Eric's one of those voices yeah, and we'll there'll what, be more as time goes more, on we'll depending on who God brings. I know. Yeah. So stay tuned. It's going to be a lot of really cool things that we're visioneering right now. Yeah. And architecting so, so as the Lord wills it. So. Hey, speaking of voices, we have an incredible uh, guest this week. Two guests, actually, right? Yeah, Is it Dr. Right. James father, Banks son. and Jeffrey Banks, mm-hmm. his son? I love a father-son story. And this is this is a powerful one. And Dave, you were telling me off air that um, lots of people here at Nothing Is Wasted have been asking about prodigal stories. Yeah. And this is one of those stories. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of uh, families, parents that are tuning in, part of our community who uh, they're experiencing um, wayward children is I guess probably the yeah. best way to talk about this. a very real pain point. I think yes. especially as you see the convergence of a lot of this deconstruction that's taking place, mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of uh, teenagers, college-age students, young adults who are finding themselves in the crosshairs of the, the God that they kind of put or constructed in a box. The yes. pain they're experiencing, the pressure of life that's going on, the cultural... Uh, the things that are happening, the pressures of culture that are kind of caving in around, it's not fitting with the God that they've kind of constructed growing up. Totally. Or that they've essentially borrowed from the generation before them. Yeah. And so now they're having to figure out who is God really to me and what, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. what's resulting is a lot of people are walking away from the faith. Walking away, yeah. And they're not, what we we would encourage people to do is lean in with those questions, lean into God, take those questions. Those Mm -hmm. questions are great. Yes. But lean into really wrestling through those questions with the Lord and with good, safe community, church community. And and out of that, you're going to see even deeper mysteries of God be revealed to you. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's, that's right. not happening. And so we're seeing a lot of parents who are experiencing some of that fallout and their hearts are crushed. And some of you guys are Ugh. listening to this right now and that's your story. That's your story. Yep. And so that's that's one of the reasons we wanted to make sure that this conversation happened and we can bring this to you because this is an incredible story that will inspire you and will hopefully fill you with, it will bolster your faith to continue to yeah, keep I, praying for- Exactly. Pray wayward, for those prodigals yeah. or your wayward child. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, I cannot wait to share this episode with our listeners. They actually, this is amazing to me that Dr. James Banks and his son Jeffrey wrote a book called Hope Lies Ahead, Encouragement for Parents of Prodigals from a family that's been there. They're going to share some of the struggles in this conversation that they share in that book, really about Jeffrey's substance abuse and self-destruction. So I do think Davey's exactly right. It's going to empower all of us as parents who have wayward kids or or wayward grandkids to continue praying and trusting that God is at work. Right, right. So let's go ahead and take a listen to my conversation with Jeffrey and James Banks. Jeff, James, so great to have you guys on the podcast with me. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, Absolutely. Glad to so be with good you. good to be here. I would love for you guys to tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about, I mean, this is a unique thing right here. Father, son, I can't wait to dive into your story, but give us a little bit of your modern day right now context, and then we'll dive back into your story. Jeff, you go ahead and start. Dad, you want to go first? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, this is, the, this is what happens when you have three people on, right? <laughs> um, so uh, my name is Jeffrey Banks. Um, I work in student ministries at a church called Port City Community Church. It's a non-denominational church in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, and I get to work with middle school and high school students, um, creating, you know, I work a lot on our teaching content and care, um, for our students, pastoral care and when they're navigating tough things. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I've been here for, I'm in my sixth year and, uh, love, love what I get to do with students here. And I'm James Banks. I'm the founding pastor of Peace Church in Durham, North Carolina, and I'm a writer, for our daily bread, and uh, you know, love to uh, father, father of uh, two kids, two grandkids, and uh, you know, love to encourage people who are uh, going through challenging times in their families, and love to encourage people to pray. It's awesome, awesome. Well, guys, you know, I'm a, I'm a parent as well. I've got three kids, nine, eight, and three, and this is so. Uh, just in season of the, this conversation is for for the things that my wife and I are praying for in terms of for our kids and also the fears that we wrestle with. And so why don't you dive back and, and talk a little bit about your story? Because I know there are so many people who are listening to this. We've had so many questions about this topic and um, and then we'll just we'll just dig into where God's showing up in your story. Sounds good. Jeff, again, you want you want to lead into that? Sure. Sorry. I never know where to start, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> um, so we moved to Durham, North Carolina. I was about five years old at the time. And, um, you know, my dad was, was pastoring at this point um, at a different church than the one he, he later planted. Um, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I grew up kind of in, you know, with everything you could ever want. And whenever I think back about my childhood, like, um, whenever you hear stories like mine, I think a lot of people are used to hearing like, you know, lots of trauma in the childhood or lots of crazy stuff going on that led them to do the things that they did. And, um, you know, my story is kind of an exception to what sometimes feels like a rule, I guess. Like I I look back on my childhood fondly and, um, and everything was great. You know, I made good grades, everybody liked me, but I do think, you know, as I was like, one of those kids that everyone encouraged and thought, oh, you're going to do great things. Like, I think I kind of became addicted to that sort of like acceptance and um, that sort of encouragement and started dying for other people's approval in some ways. And, um, you know, as I got older and went into middle school, my 
you know, my, my desires for approval kind of shifted from, you know, I think whenever you're in elementary school, you want your parents and your teachers to think that you're the greatest in the world. But then as you get older, you're like, oh, I don't really care about that so much anymore. I want my friends to think this. And as this kind of transition is happening, I, I grew up in the church. Obviously, my dad's a pastor and, um, you know, believed in God as a kid, like would have told you I was a Christian as a kid. Um, but for whatever reason, and I, I still haven't been able to put my finger on why this is, I I didn't understand. I didn't make the jump between having faith in something and the way that that faith influences how you live. I don't think I ever made that jump for whatever reason. And as a student pastor, like most of the time I see kids making that jump in middle school, they start thinking like, Oh, this isn't my parents' faith anymore. Like this is, this is when I start to own my own faith, you know? So during that space, um, during that time where I really probably should have been doing that, um, I was being introduced to the world of drugs and I kind of, you know, stumbled upon it through friend groups and, um, and, you know, my sister was dabbling at the time. And, um, I remember, you know, smoking weed for the first time. I think I was in like seventh grade and I remember like my mind being blown. I thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. Um, and, honestly, like this huge curiosity arose in me. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a very curious person. I'm a skeptic. I like to ask lots of questions. I don't take anyone's word at face value. Like I have to question and wrestle and press. And, um, so, you know, I had heard things about drugs and, you know, how bad they were and how it's going to ruin your life and all these things, but I didn't really believe them. And hand in hand with that, I, you know, I've kind of always been like a rebel and I still have this streak in me. Um, I don't know that I think it's the way God created me. It's his fault. Let's blame it on him. Hold on Maverick now. That's, that's the, that's the reformed, you know, yeah. redeemed yeah. descriptor right there. You're a maverick. Right. There we go. There we go. I'll take it. <laughs> Jesus was too, right? That's right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so I started, you know, I, I got this curiosity surrounding drugs and um, I remember, you know, staying up all night, like, on blogs and stuff like reading about different drugs and what they can make you feel like. And I like, I had this obsession with it. Like my brain just latched on to like really this like exploration and how I could feel and you know, all these things. Um, so that led me down a path that spiraled pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it changed from like this almost like childlike curiosity that like, Mm. and I don't ever think curiosity is a bad thing. Like I don't, I don't think that was a bad thing about me. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I was a kid. I was curious and I didn't really have a ton of places to get my questions about it answered. So Mm. I just made myself elaborate. And eventually I stumbled upon opiates. Um, Mm. You know, I went in a friend's, uh, a friend's parent had had passed away from cancer and um, they had a cabinet full of, of pain meds. And I remember going through this cabinet and like typing things into Google, like, what is this? What is this? What is this? And finding a bottle of Oxycontin and a bottle of Percocets. And um, that was kind of where my love for opiates was shaped. Like I, I immediately, like the first time I did it, I knew I was like, this is what I want to feel like um, all the time. And meanwhile, you know, my dad at home, like I think for a little bit, like, they didn't really know anything was going on. And dad, I'll let you speak to this a little bit. But, you know, as as time went on, it started to become very clear that, um, that you know, I was struggling with substances. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. And, you know, Jeff was that kid growing up that everyone liked. I have this memory of walking into a uh, mini mart with him. And, uh, you know, there was this, this store owner who, who sees him, uh, never seen him before. And it's like he's a long lost friend. And I, I realized early on that's kind of a gift that that god put on him he's he's very likable by nature but the truth is that that ended up 
pulling him in some directions that uh, that were difficult. When his sister went down a certain path, all of a sudden it became became apparent. Oh, you have a little brother, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jeff, in many ways, had had a great childhood. Uh, you know, certainly we we made plenty of mistakes at home, uh, but you know, before Jeff even left the hospital, we held him in his in our arms, we gave him to God, we we prayed that that God would would bless him and and that Jesus would save him and and be in his life, and so uh, that's the kind of home that that he was raised in. And, you know, the, the challenge along the way, uh, as, as you know better than I, you know, as a church planter, uh, sometimes a friend told me once that being a church planter is like putting a, a target on your back and saying to the devil, come get me. Yeah. And, um, you know, yeah. we felt that when uh, he couldn't go after us in certain ways, uh, though he definitely tried, uh, he really went after our kids. And um, some of that was targeted in such a way that, that I was just not prepared for it at all. Because, yeah. um, you know, we always tend to see our kids in some ways as extensions of ourselves. And uh, I was that kid in high school uh, who was an overachiever. You know, I was California state champion in informative speaking. My right senior year in high school and all that stuff. And so, of course, my son's going to follow the same road, you know. And when he starts to make choices that, you know, I, I just could not conceive of, uh, my response is, is legalistic. It's harsh. You know, it's, it's overly personal at times. And Jeff, you know, sometimes I, I wonder about that relational aspect. If I was so busy putting out fires, you know, saying, don't do this, you know, this isn't going to get you, God doesn't approve of that, that uh, the relational aspect wasn't something that, you know, we could put forward enough at, at home. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that may have contributed. I, I don't know. God alone knows. But at the same time, you know, we know that God was at work in all of this um, in ways that are, are so far beyond us to, you know, accomplish things that would end up uh, helping a lot of people. But we, you know, we walked with Jeff through uh, a very difficult road, uh, a road also where we had to look at um, mistakes we had made, and at the same time, where there was this incredible discovery of God's goodness and presence. There were like these, um, best way to put it are, are, are these Jacob moments where, you know, the Lord was in this place and I didn't know it. And, you know, I, I don't say that as trying to overly spiritualize it. It's this genuine presence of of Jesus who met us with peace and calm in some of the most unthinkable places. And wow. So, you wow. know. Yeah. And when I when I think about that that relational aspect, you know, if you're you're listening and you're the parent of a, a you know a teenager or a student or 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 even someone that struggles with substances, one of the things I, I, I do remember kind of happening is like 
And I, I don't think this was just what was happening at home. I think this was a combination of the D.A.R.E. program that I was going through at school. <laughs> and just the modern, yeah, yeah and I don't know how yeah. far we won't go down that road, but the modern <laughs> um, kind of conceptualization of drugs and substances. Mm-hmm. And I, I just remember like being told like, oh my gosh, if you do this, it's going to, it's going to ruin your life. Your life is going to fall apart. Yeah. All these things are going to happen. You're going to end up in jail. And then what happens is you go, you know, you go try them or you, you have friends that are doing it and that's not happening to anyone or mm-hmm. very, very few people is that happening to in seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th grade as they begin to experiment. Like those things are few and far between. So what I remember happening is hearing at home, like, oh my gosh, these things are so dangerous. Like you can't do these things. They're going to, you know, take you down this path. And I remember hearing at school, you know, like these things will ruin your life. You'll become addicted. And then I remember looking at my friends and going, that's not what's happening to them. They seem like they're having a good time. Like they're fine. We're having fun together. This, it it almost seemed innocent, innocent in a sense. Like it was like, my life's not falling apart. Like, so that means in my head, like, oh, you don't, you don't necessarily know what you're talking about, you know? And I kind of remember that happening. Like you, you don't, that's not true. Um, and you know, in the long run it was true, but kids are short sighted. And I think you like, you hold up what you see at school and what you see in your friend groups against what you hear. And you know, you're going to usually for a student, especially a teenager, like you're going to listen to this a lot, uh, to your friends a lot. And, um, so I remember thinking like, oh, they've got it wrong, you know? Mm. And I, I genuinely had this like thought in my head. And I think a lot of us do this with difficult situations. Like if you have like a sin pattern or a struggle in your life or something that, you know, you wish you could stop. Like I, I think a lot of us have this like conception of like, oh, well, one day, you know, we tell ourselves like yeah. these one day stories, like one day I'm just going to, I thought like. I would one day like get a job, graduate from college, have a family, get married and just stop doing drugs magically. Like mm-hmm. that one day it would just, my, my difficult situation would just resolve itself and I wasn't really going to have to try or change anything or, or, or push or anything. Like I thought it would just happen. I thought that's how everybody's life worked, you know? And I think lots in lots of ways, that's the narrative we're kind of sold on like by mm-hmm. society. Like, oh, you, you, you go to college and you party and you live this lifestyle and then you graduate and you get a job and you're good. Yeah. Um, and for some people, that's true. But but for me, it wasn't. Um, so I, you know, I was in I was in middle school. I discovered these opiates. Um, and slowly but surely, they began to kind of take over my life. It went from a I do this every now and again thing to a, I do this every day thing. Um, you know, I was, I played sports. I was captain of the cross team. I, you know, loved, loved getting to play sports, loved getting to hang out with friends, like had healthy habits. I fenced like, I, which like who fences? I fenced. Um, <laughs> <Can't do. laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie, fencing. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. Fight ever it's so fun. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> that's it awesome. Um, but my, you know, those those positive things in my life started to get put to the wayside because yeah. I was spending so much time seeking drugs, and um, my opiate addiction got worse and worse and worse. It stopped becoming easy to hide. You know, my parents would find, you know, it's like, I don't know, like pills in my pocket or cigarettes or weed or whatever. And, you know, they, it kind of became pretty clear pretty quickly that like there was more going on than just this like innocent experimentation. Right. right. Yeah. 
And um, my, I started to get, I would bring it to school. You know, I'd bring drugs to school. I was selling drugs at this point and I started to get in legal trouble. Like I remember getting arrested. I was at school, I was 16 years old and um, got arrested for having weed with me at school. And I, they charged me as an adult because I was on school campus. I was 16 years old. And I remember going to the county jail as a 16-year-old kid. And I don't know if this was like a scared straight thing or what, like what they were thinking. But um, but I remember that being the first time that I was like, oh, this is real life, you know? Like, um, but, uh, yeah. but it, didn't really, it didn't really stop me. You know, I thought I was unlucky. I thought I got caught. Um, and my yeah. parents, you know, and dad, maybe you can speak more to this season, but you guys were yeah, doing whatever you mean, could to help me. And I was full on addicted to opiates, stealing. It was, it was crazy, crazy life. Yeah, you meanwhile, know? mom and dad are trying to figure out what exactly is going on. We know, you know, uh, a lot of things aren't right, but at the same time, if you have someone in your life who's an addict, uh, they can be, uh, really good manipulators. And, uh, Jeff, it mm. takes that to another level. I mean, he, you know, just because of his social skills, uh, you know, was, was able sometimes to yeah. sort of wind his way through some stuff. And so we did the best that we could, you know, we uh, realized, yeah, things are, are not going on uh, the way they should. So we tried to do things like putting, remember, a key logger on your computer and, uh, you know, trackers on, mm. on phones and cars and, uh, you know, we're asking friends to to pray and pray. And I remember something that happened one day. Uh, I will never forget this, but there was a group of uh, pastors that I was meeting with and um, shared with them some of what was going on. And after the meeting, one of them pulls me aside and says, James, I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, why? Why are you sorry? I said, he said, well, I, I kind of feel guilty. He said, because I know you. And I know the way you've raised your kids. And then he, he looked at me and he said, and the truth is kids make their own choices. And I could have hugged him because, you know, honestly, yeah. uh, when you're a parent, you're going through all this, you know, you, you tend to have, I hate to sum it up with a bumper sticker, but, you know, my child is an honor student at, you know, and um, we, we tend to make right. these comparisons with other parents and it's immediately, where did I go wrong? Right. You know, how could I have done something differently? And right. of course, you know, there's always just enough there where we can look at ourselves and say, yeah, I, I, I know I could do better. But at the same time, uh, you know, there's all this, this going on in our kids' lives, spiritually, psychologically, mm -hmm. socially, uh, that, that we don't have a grasp on. And so we're, you know, desperately trying to, to get there. Um, yeah. And this is where it became a, a place where uh, the, the beautiful thing that came out of this was that God drove us to our knees again and again and, um, you know, caused us to, to pray yeah. in a way that was just this, uh, you know, call for help. Um, and, wow. you know, my wife and I began to do certain things like, uh, uh, fasting together on like a Thursday afternoon. Uh, you know, we'd skip a meal at lunch, that kind of thing, uh, as, as we're praying for our kids. And meanwhile, there are other things going on with, with Jeff's sister at, at the time. And, you know, it just feels like, like things are unraveling. And uh, yet, as we're, you know, as we're just 
in that place of, you know, clinging to God as, as best we can, uh, you know, we find that somehow he, he gets us through. But at the same time, I should also add that, you know, we, one of the good things about, uh, about the Lord walking with us in this time uh, was that it, it helped us in our own relationship. Because, uh, you know, Jeff, I think it's pretty safe to say that your mom was the good cop and I was the bad cop, you know, as you were going through this. I mean, <laughs> uh, my, my wife, uh, uh, we have substance abuse on both sides of the family if you go back far enough. But um, my wife's dad was an alcoholic. And so, uh, you know, sometimes he was on, he was sharp, he was great. Other times he was just really, you know, dissipated. And um, he was still her dad. And so uh, she wasn't judging him solely on his actions. You know, she just knew how to love him. And that was something that, that I was having to learn and learn very quickly uh, as, you know, we were encountering this territory with my kids. So I think that she did it, you know, kind of more naturally. But that also meant for tension sometimes in our relationship. It's like, well, why are you allowing this? Or why are you saying this? Uh, you know, uh, and so you know, again, uh, having to work all this through, we needed that, that common ground of faith and the, the strength that God's Spirit pours into each of us to be able to say, you know, I'm sorry I messed up or I, I need to regroup, uh, I need to be more understanding. So again, a lot going on on a lot of different levels. Hey friends, I can't tell you how many times we've had someone write in or message us asking us for a list of the podcast episodes and resources we have on a particular topic or pain point. In fact, just the other day, someone asked me, hey, can you point me to all the episodes you guys have on sexual betrayal? Because unfortunately, this person had just recently discovered that this was now part of their story. We get this question so much that we decided to do something about it to make it easier for you. Rather than wading through our entire library of very inspirational content, if I may say so myself, how about if we just give you a list of everything that we have on a particular topic you're looking for? We've done that, we've built some of these lists, and we call these lists Curated Pathways. With Curated Pathways on topics like grief, child loss, sexual betrayal, childhood trauma, widowhood, and more, we've compiled the very best resources from Nothing Is Wasted Ministries all in one place that will speak directly to what you're experiencing right now or what a friend or a family member is experiencing. We've packaged this in an easy way for you to consume it, you to access this material, or for you to send it over to a friend or family member you know who's experiencing a particular pain point right now. Our Curated Pathways will give you access to everything we've created from past podcast episodes to bonus content, master classes, live coaching, and everything in between. Let's be honest, when you're facing a crisis, a loss, or a trauma, you just don't have the time or the energy or emotional bandwidth to search for what could help you heal. That's why we've created Curated Pathways, so that you can more directly and quickly access the resources that you need. 
Now, you can get a taste of what our curated pathways are all about by going to nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. But if you're ready to go the next level on your healing journey, you can access the full library of our resources, including the entire curated pathway you're looking for by becoming a Community Plus member. For just $20 a month or $200 a year, you'll have access to the complete collection of Nothing Is Wasted Curated Pathways. As a Community Plus member, you'll be able to access a new curated pathway each month as our collection grows and as we release those. Our team has been working very hard to catalog, index, organize, and distribute our library of content in a way that will be most helpful to you, to your friends, to your family, because we know what it's like to face pain and we want to equip you with the tools you need to find hope and healing as you move from pain to purpose. Join Community Plus today at nothingiswasted.com slash community plus or get a little taste of our curated pathways at nothingiswasted.com slash pathways. Both of those links are here in the show notes. We want to help you partner with God to take back your story. And we're committed to giving you resources that will help you do just that. This is hitting me really in season right now, guys. I know I, know I said that already, but um, especially the, the spiritual warfare aspect and engaging in the spiritual warfare that you're referring to right here, because you know our entire culture sets up this this construct that says, you know, you you put this effort forward, you're gonna get this result, right? That's it's a one plus one equals two, and it becomes a very self sufficient thing, and that trickles over into every area of our life. But it can, as you're saying, it can bleed over into parenting and thinking that. Well, okay, if I do these right things, <laughs> then my kids are going to turn out right. right. You know, it's just one plus one equals two. Everything should be fine. And so then we begin to gauge our own uh, ability or inability based on the outcome of what our kids are doing. And, you know, I've got one child who's struggling particularly right now with some poor choices. And, you know, they're young enough right now that we're really trying, we're really trying to correct this behavior now. And yet at the same time, I'm, I'm feeling very convicted by what you're saying about the relational aspect that there's so much of a bedrock of relationship that needs to be focused on, you know, not, not, not instead of, you know, tr- the, the training and the discipline, but also like, you know, as a, as a undergirding, as a foundation for that. Yeah. And yet at the same time, there are going to be battles that we cannot fight. Mm-hmm. And it's going to drive, as you said, James going to drive us to our knees. And there are things that it, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like the Lord is continually trying to draw us all to this place of going, hey, listen, like this whole faith thing is an actual dependence on me. Like not just an acknowledgement dependence on me. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I depend on the Lord, but but I've got all of this stuff taken care of and I'm going to line my ducks up in a row and I'm going to produce the, this particular outcome for myself. <laughs> but it's, Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. I really, really, really need you. Yeah. And I wonder if if you can speak a little bit, maybe even lean into that a little bit more, uh, either one of you guys, maybe where you were feeling it, Jeff, maybe where you guys were engaging in it, that spiritual warfare aspect where you're you're trusting, you're coming to this place where you're trusting the Lord to go, we don't really know what to do right here. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to rely on you, Lord. And then, you know, Jeff, where what what that was doing maybe for you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeff, why don't you share a little more about where your story led? And because I think that really leads into yeah. uh, the, the, this aspect. Yeah, so I, you know, that like 
for me, the spiritual side of things didn't really come, at least I should say on the surface, didn't really come till much later, you know, underneath the surface, um, you know, I, I, I still would have through like in the midst of my addiction, I still would have told you I was a Christian, still would have told you I believed in God, you know, like that didn't really go out the window for me again. I just never made the jump between like, oh, this faith should actually f- inform my life, which yeah. to me now, like sounds dumb. But whenever I <laughs> honestly think about it, it's like, that's how lots of us live. Oh, you know, yeah, we like, 100%. we do church on Sunday, like we do baseball practice. It's just right. what you do. And it only really matters when you have the big game, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yep. and, and in our heads, that's whenever you die and you get into heaven or hell, you know, but it's like, well, and especially is, I'll just say this too, because yeah. we have, we have listeners from all over the globe, especially in the region of the, of the United States that you guys are living in. Yep. I grew up in the South. I grew up in Birmingham, went to undergrad in South Carolina, was on staff at a church for a while there in South Carolina. So I get it. My dad still pastors in right outside of Asheville, North Carolina, mm-hmm. that whole like Southeastern region, you, everyone goes to church. Everyone's right. a Christian, right? But it's more like a country club kind of Christian uh, yep. culture, right? So anyways, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, it almost, it, you're right, man. And it's almost like down here, like, and I, I hate to be like this, but like, I wish that I was in a space where like people told me they were Christians. I was like, oh, a brother or sister in Christ. But for me, lots right. of times, like I, if someone tells me that I get skeptical, I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, what does that actually mean for you? You know? Um, because for lots of people, it means I show up to a building for an hour on Sunday and right. look down on other people. Cause I think I'm morally superior, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but anyways, that's a, that's a whole nother uh, hour conversation, but yeah, it's, it's very true. So I never made that jump and I don't think that was the fault of my parents. You know what I mean? I don't think it was the fault of people around me. I think, um, I, I, I think I just never, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Like I said, I still haven't put my finger on it. If I figure that out, we'll have to do another episode. But, um, but, uh, so I'm there and, um, still struggling with drugs. My faith is kind of there. Um, I got, I kept, I was in and out of jail and my story kind of gets repetitive here. I remember my parents being like, Hey, you need to get help. I graduated high school. I got into college, um, at a pretty young age. And whenever I went to college, I graduated from, uh, from, from pills like over the over the counter pharmaceutical pills uh, to IV heroin, and it was kind of one of those things, you know, where I was like, I had all these like barriers, like, oh, I'll do drugs, but I'll never do that. I'll never do coke. I'll never do meth. I'll never do heroin. And then I just started to knock those barriers down, you know, because you you're around it so much, you get desensitized to it so much, and when everyone around you is doing heroin, all of a sudden heroin's not that scary. Well, and you were um, selling. So I end up on IV heroin. You were selling at the time, right? And then you ran out. Yeah, that's really how it happened. Is I was selling with it to keep. I was selling it to keep up with my pill habit, wow. and then all of a sudden it became pretty enticing to me. Um, so I, you know, my life it was already unraveled, but I started to go deeper and deeper and deeper at this point. Um, and I kind of turned to crime to keep up my habit and it it turned into selling drugs and breaking into houses and robbing people and, you know, doing whatever I had to do to kind of get the money that I needed. And, um, people always, you know, you wonder why if you have a, a family members or a friend that struggles with addiction, like people often wonder why they do the things they do. And, um, I don't think people realize like the, the, the grip that it has on people where it's like, it's on an instinctual level. Like it's not a conscious thought of, Oh, it's totally okay for me to rob this store. That's not what happens. And I think sometimes we have this stigma surrounding addiction where we, we look at people like that and we're like, Oh, they're just making bad decisions. Um, but on an actual chemical level in your brain, uh, your body, 
begins to think because of these flood, this flood of dopamine that you're getting from drugs begins to think that it's more important than food or water and you need it to survive. So you're willing to do anything. Um, and so I start to do all these things that I, I would never do. I start to, um, you know, whenever you get into heroin, you also get the risks of overdoses and then, and, 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 uh, you know, needle use and all the things that come with that. And, um, so my, my risk is starting to go through the roof. I have people around me overdosing, um, uh, uh, guns, crime, all that we stuff. Were so I finally get, you know, to, to, you were sharing needles at one point. Go ahead. You were that. sharing needles at one point as well. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. I would do whatever I had to do. You know, I, my, uh, my friend was giving me a hard time the other day because I think I ate a piece of food off the ground. He was like, dude, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, man, I used to shoot up with toilet water. <laughs> like <laughs> eating a chicken nugget off the ground is like the height of sanitation for wow. me. Wow. But, um, so I say that laughing. It's not funny, but like, it's just, it's crazy to think about, you know, where I used to be. And, um, but anyways, so, uh, my life starts to unravel. My, I got arrested for having an illegal gun. And I remember my parents, um, came to see me in jail and they were like, Hey, like we, you know, and they had been through a lot at this point. They're like, we want to help you, but we're not going to bail you out unless you, you go to rehab. And, uh, I went to rehab for the first time, uh, actually where I live now in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it didn't last very long. Uh, I got out and then I started using again pretty quickly and uh, moved to Nashville. And I want to kind of sum my story up. Um, but, uh, uh, and this is in Nashville, things got, I went to rehab there. I was good for a little bit. I was sober for a little bit. Um, and then I again went down that path and I kind of lied to myself like, oh, I can just use here and there. Like I can just do heroin on the weekends, which nobody does heroin on the weekends. <laughs> no. But that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would just end up straight back in my addiction. And uh I am in and out of rehabs, finally went uh, for a time that was really impactful and I was really happy and I was sober and uh, I didn't really have a relationship with God, but I was in a 12-step program and um, was doing pretty well. I went to church here and there and got in a really bad relationship um, uh, and it was bad because of me, not the person I was with. I was just a very toxic person at this time and uh, I relapsed and I took her money and her car. And this is kind of the rock bottom of my story is I used to, she didn't really know what was going on that I'd relapsed and I would steal her money. And I took some of her money and I took her car out. I went to my dealer's house. I got my drugs and I was driving back home and I pulled off on the side of the road to use some of the drugs. And, um, I remember putting the needle in my arm and injecting the heroin and pulling back onto the road and sped up to like 50, 60 miles per hour. I was on the highway and I passed out behind the wheel overdosed and hit a power pole. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my like rock bottom moment. You know, I, I think we talk about that a lot, but that was kind of the moment where I realized like, man, I'm going to die or stop. And yeah. I, I wasn't sure which one I wanted. If I'm being real, like I, I could not imagine life without yeah. drugs. Um, like it was like my best friend. It was my comfort. It was the thing that was always there for me. So to wow. think to live without it was unimaginable. Um, and I went to rehab for the last time. And I, I remember kind of having these plans of like what I was going to like, here's how I can recover. And I really did want to get sober at this point. Like I didn't want to keep living the way that I was like, I wanted something to change. I just didn't know how. And I remember kind of telling my parents my plan and they were like, we've, we've done your plan a thousand times. And I think this was my 10th rehab at this point. Wow. And they're like, we're not doing your plan again. <laughs> um, and they found this place called Christian Recovery House in North Carolina. And they were like, if you go there, we'll help you out. 
and I really didn't want anything to do with Jesus anything. Like I had met Christians. I wasn't crazy about Christians. I had this conception of Jesus, you know, again, living in the Bible Belt. I was in yeah. Nashville, Tennessee at this point, yeah. um, which is kind of the height of Christendom yeah. in some the, places. The buckle but, on the Bible Belt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but It is. It is. Yeah. So... I just, I had this conceptualization of following Jesus that was like, following Jesus means, I don't know, like having your shirt tucked in and judging these people and listening to this music and looking down on those people and voting for these people. And like, I had this like cookie cutter picture of what it meant to be Christian in my head. And I knew that I didn't want to be that, you know? So I go to this recovery house and, um, and at first I was kind of starting to confirm everything that I thought. And I had to go to this church if I lived there. Uh, called Port City. Um, and I remember showing up to Port City wanting to confirm everything that I thought about Christians. And I remember kind of pulling up in the driveway and, you know, uh, or in the parking lot and uh, smoking a cigarette and putting it out on the door and flicking it in the bushes. And like, I was such a jerk. And I wanted everyone to be like, what's wrong with you? Like, you need to get your crap together. You can't be here. So that I could be like, oh, that's exactly what Christians are like. But they didn't. They were like, Oh, that's fine, man. If that's how you want to, like, whatever. We still love you. Like, you can still be here. You can still spend time with us. We still want to know your name. We still want to learn about you. Like, that's not going to put us off. Um, and that was weird to me. I remember that being really weird. Um, but I stuck around, you know, and I started to get to know people. And I uh, I didn't really meet, like, my people or a friend. Like, I, I was the youngest person in the room all the time. I was 21, 22 at the time. And uh, didn't feel like I had my person. And then this guy... Uh, named Daniel moved into the halfway house and Daniel had a great relationship with Jesus. He was, he had been an intern at a church for a while, but he had been, had a past an addiction and he had relapsed and he had come mm-hmm. to the, come to the house, but his faith was still kind of strong and intact. And I remember having all these questions and all these <laughs> things that I felt like I couldn't ask or voice. And he was kind of one of the first people who was like, Oh dude, those are great questions. Like mm-hmm. let's totally talk about, you know, why I believe in Jesus or, you know, what, I don't know how old the earth is or whatever your, you know, big questions are. So, uh, he wasn't afraid of those questions. He was excited to explore them. And through that relationship and through being at this church, like, um, I I remember looking back at one point and going, Oh my gosh, it's been nine months since I've done any drugs. It's been nine months since I've even like (laughs) wanted to do drugs. And that was the moment that I was like, Oh, there's, there's more to the story going on here. Like there's wow. something real here. Like, cause that was a miracle for me to not want to do drugs yeah. and, and to be happy and okay living without them. And man, I sh- I should be dead. Like, and whenever I think about the spiritual warfare aspect, like I, I, I look back and I have so many friends that are dead, so many friends that are in prison, so many people that like sometimes I almost end up with like survivor's guilt, you know, yeah. um, of like, why me? Like, why am I still here? Um, but I I look back at some of the differences and the things that I always see is like having people praying for me, you know, thinking of my parents praying Mm -hmm. for me at home and loving me well, um, having people that relentlessly loved me and wouldn't turn their back on me no matter what. Mm -hmm. Um, and having a, uh, a community of people around me that walked with me, a positive community. And that changed everything for me. And those are the things that I saw God use again and again and again in my life. 
um, to, to turn things around. Um, and I, you know, there's a thousand <laughs> yeah. stories along the way of, of how that happened and, and what it looked like. And, you know, maybe my dad can, can share yeah. some of those. There's, there's, there's so much ground to cover in yeah. this, but, uh, you know, the, the whole aspect of, <laughs> of loving well is key. And this is where, you know, yeah. if you were to, to sum up, uh, we really have to get our love from God because, and I know that sounds too easy and it sounds, you know, uh, again, like I'm overly spiritualizing it. <laughs> yeah, until you're in a situation where you need it, you absolutely need it, right? Like it sounds like the spiritual answer, James, but you're going, yeah. There, you, we find ourselves in these situations where we're like, I, I don't have the capability of exactly when I'm continually getting betrayed, hurt. Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly, yeah. David. I mean, here, here we are in a situation where, um, you know, Jeff is is in and out of rehab. We had to homeschool him to get him through high school. He had gotten kicked out of, uh, mm. you know, the, the same school a couple of times. Then he went to the continuation school, ended up getting kicked out of there for selling, you know, and finally to get him through high school, we, we homeschool him. And, um, you know, then these things are going on where we... we uh, he, he starts college, he seems to be doing okay, but then burns through his college money with the drugs. And, you know, some parents, I think at that point would just be kind of like, we're done, you know, you blew it. And we have this expression that you often hear about love must be tough. And one of the things that we learned along the way is mm -hmm. that love has to be tough on us as well. Uh, in other words, if we're going to really follow Jesus in our relationship with our son, that means we've got to love him like Jesus does, you know, and yeah. that sometimes means going places wow. where we don't want to go and doing things that are going to cost us money that we would have rather have wow. spent on other things. And that doesn't mean that we don't have boundaries. We we definitely do have those boundaries. But I, I Jeff, I think about when you... Right. Uh, went to Christian Recovery House, CRH, and, um, uh, you know, it was this situation where Jeff had been um, in and out of rehab, like you said, 10 times at that point. Uh, and this had been going on for like seven years. And um, he's, we have this meeting, all the other rehab situations he'd done, some of them had been very good, but there was that faith-based element that we were trying to find where there was genuinely, a, 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 you know, a relational aspect. Uh, and again, this goes back to what we were talking about with right. prayer earlier, where, you know, prayer is more than just this input-output. It's got to be relational, or, or what are we doing? And um, so, we find this place and we go have this initial meeting. And as soon as we're wrapping up the meeting, uh, Elizabeth, the lady who interviewed us, uh, says, can we pray? And as soon as she prays, it's like, oh, this is where we're supposed to be. I mean, it, you know, it wasn't just this pro forma kind of thing. You know, you knew God was at work in it. Uh, yeah. But right. as soon as we get out in the car, Jeff turns to us and says, I'm not going to Jesus camp. And <laughs> um, it's on. Jeff, I don't know you very well, but that sounds like something you would have said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's on from that point. We are uh, traveling just to like three miles back to his sister's house. And the argument gets so heated in the car on the way there 
that I have to pull over at this McDonald's because I cannot drive anymore. I'm just absolutely, you know, at the end of this. And a, a lot of this, there, there are things behind the scenes. You know, we're exhausted physically because Jeff had just been through detox and we had gone to Nashville. We had loaded up this, this moving van. And uh, at first he was kind of okay with it, but uh, then we get to the outskirts of Nashville and he's just, oh, please, we're in this public restaurant. We stop, you know, and um, have a bite to eat. And he's like pleading with us, no, no, don't go, don't go. And he's in tears and we're kind of making the scene. And, um, you know, we're, we're driving, uh, you know, we finally managed to get back into the U-Haul and, and, you know, <laughs> get on the highway. As I'm driving back, I'm realizing, wow, this, it, this is like one of the lowest moments of my life because uh, this just hurts mm. so bad. And, and how do we, you know, how, how do we get through this? So, you know, we're all emotionally fragile, frazzled at this moment when Jeff is like, I'm not going to Jesus camp uh, just a couple of days later. And um, our daughter's boyfriend talks him into it and basically says, you know, hey, just do it to make him happy. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, you can do anything for a few days. And he was this Iraq war veteran. So he had, you know, this, this good perspective. Yeah. And um, so Jeff goes and uh, eventually, you know, he's, he's in with this group. And Jeff, you've summed it up before. Uh, this group of people who basically their approach was, dude, just come to Jesus. We'll figure the rest out later. And <laughs> there, there was a spirit about them that I think I had been trying to communicate uh, to my son in terms of knowing Jesus is just such a good thing, but he was, you know how that is, you know, you, you say something over and over again. And of course, you know, there were times where I preached yeah. a lot of sermons to Jeff that I, I really shouldn't have because they were harsh and, and in anger. And um, mm. yet, here's this, uh, suddenly he, he starts to see it. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Hook before, but, uh, you know, parents who have mm. addicts can relate to this. You know, here's this, this Peter Pan uh, character, um, you know, and nobody recognizes him back in Neverland until this little boy kind of takes his yeah. face in his hands and reshapes it and says, yeah. oh, there you are, Peter. And that was what we started yeah. to see with our son. When you'd go through rehab, uh, it was like, oh, there you are. There you are. You know, the, these substances are losing their effect. And there's the, there's the, the boy that we loved and raised, and ah, oh, there you are. Yeah. And so we began to see this slow, redemptive work of God, and it was a slow work. I mean, it, that's, I think, important yeah. to point out because some people expect it to be this sort of overnight, you know, uh, redemptive story. But, right. um, you know, it, it ended up becoming wow. this, this beautiful thing thing that God did in our son's life. And uh, not only that, and, uh, you know, Jeff's gifts begin to be recognized at the church. And, um, you know, he starts to volunteer in places. And, um, 
you know, eventually he's he's on staff there. And uh, the church had this culture, and I think that's really important as well. You know, we want our churches to be, to have that culture of uh, Jesus was a friend of sinners. And um, so often I think that's not the case. You know, we were blessed in our church, uh, likewise up at peace where there were people who had prodigals, they'd been that road. And so they knew how to pray with us and for us. And I cannot underscore enough how important that is. Uh, and also just one more thing to the spiritual warfare aspect. Uh, we also did whatever we could to, uh, to get the Word of God into our son's life. And as we were praying and mm. as we were, you know, doing things like giving him books like, you know, uh, Scripture Promises for Your Every Need or, you know, whatever the title may be, um, we began to see God do things that would let just enough light in so that we realized we're on the right road. You know, it's dark, we got to keep going, but this, this is where we go. You know, it's a lamp to our feet, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a, sometimes it's just the foot level. But uh, Jeff has a particular story about uh, a, a book of verses that we gave him one night uh, that I, if, if we have time, I'd love to have him just share that briefly because I, I think it speaks into yeah, this whole yeah. spiritual yeah, warfare aspect of, you know, loving right. those who, who are far from God and, and often far from us. Hey friend, I'm wondering if you're feeling stuck in your tragedy, your trauma, or some major life transition. I know I've felt that before. The truth is without a clear path and a careful plan, the valleys we face will only seem to grow darker, more depressing, and more difficult to navigate. Early on in my journey of losing my wife, Amanda, in a home invasion, I know that I realized quickly I needed a guide to help me navigate the aftermath. I did not know what I was doing, and there was no manual for this. And thankfully, providentially, God provided me that very guide. His name's Todd Erb. He was actually featured on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast early on. And listen, Todd's not a counselor. Todd's not a pastor. Todd is a follower of Jesus who happened to share the exact same story that I had. His wife and his daughter had been murdered. And God connected us and Todd became a guide for me. He began to point out the different places on my journey that I was potentially going to find myself falling into different pits or things that I was gonna be facing. And it was so helpful to have someone who actually understood and could empathize with the very thing that I was going through, guiding me along the journey and helping me to make sure that I walked the difficult, painful valley of the shadow of death and moved through it. That is exactly why Nothing Is Wasted. We offer one-on-one -on -one coaches now who are ready to help walk with you through your pain and find a path forward towards purpose. Now you can find a coach who understands your unique story through their own pain to purpose journey because they've experienced it and they're ready to help you create a plan to move through your difficulties. Now here's what we believe here at Nothing Is Wasted. We believe you can't repurpose what you don't process. You can't process what you don't own. You can't own what you won't name. You can't name what you can't see. Sometimes we need other people, guides, coaches in our lives, seeing what we can't see so that we can walk 
from pain to purpose. So to learn more about our Nothing Is Wasted coaching, go to nothingiswasted.com slash coaching. Find a certified coach that will help guide you through this dark time in your life. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash coaching to find someone who can help you today. Together, you and your Nothing Is Wasted certified coach can help you find your way from pain onto purpose. Nothingiswasted.com slash coaching. Well, so the, the story that he's talking about, I was in uh, treatment and it wasn't the last time. It was, I don't know, probably the seventh or eighth time. And um, I wish they had like a frequent visitors card where you get the 10th visit free. But, um, you know, so whatever. do I. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was, <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like with that, I feel like it is important to say here really quickly that. Um, you know, I always recognize that my story in many ways is a, is a story of privilege. Like I had the privilege to go to treatment. I had the privilege to get access to medical help. I had the privilege to have counselors and like, I had access to those things and not everyone does. Um, and can I I stop you right there, Jeff? I just, I feel really prompted because when you've walked a redemptive journey, your story is a story of privilege. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the Lord does that. So that you can, so that your eyes open up and you can scan the landscape and go, there's a lot of people who don't have access to this. Mm -hmm. And the Lord goes, that's why I gave this to you so that you can steward this Mm. to help those who don't have it. And I feel that's the exact, the exact reason I'm sitting here with a microphone right now. It's like, man, people wrap their arms around, like it was such a public thing. My story was. And so everybody rushed in and helped me. And as I go around and share my story, I go, why didn't everybody else have access to it the way I did? Right. And it, the Lord's going, that's why I gave it to you because I want you to give access to everybody. I want you to be that person for everybody that opens up the door. And so I just want to speak that into you if you haven't seen yeah. that yet, Jeff, because I think you have. I think that's because I'm, I'm sensing that that is a lot of the thread of the ministry that you do. But yeah. man, that that just occurred to me right there as you're saying that. Oh man, that's so good. Thank you so much. Uh, that that's That is a good word. And I think that's, that's the truth of it. You know, like I, uh, we, we, uh, you know, like I even think about scripture, like you see all this language of like chosen God's chosen people. Yeah. And the question is like chosen to do what? Right. And it's, it's chosen to take the good news, chosen to take gospel, chosen to take love to, to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, and I think that's like, that is, you know, what, what I've been privileged and grateful to do with my story. And, um, and it is easy to see those spaces where you're like, man, like, but, but you, all, you almost feel guilty about it too. But, you know, it's beautiful to see the way that God uses it. But yeah, so, so uh, I, 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 you know, I got to go to treatment. I had all these things. I'm in treatment this one time and I was detoxing. And I don't know how much people know about opiate or heroin withdrawal, but it is the worst of the worst. It's Jeez. like, you know, they say alcohol, alcohol can actually kill you when you withdraw from it. Uh, opiates, you just want to die is kind of what people oh, say. Wow. Um, but it's, it's like the worst flu you ever had and your skin's crawling and you can't stop moving and you're hot, but you're cold and it's, it's the worst. So I couldn't sleep this one night. It was like, I don't know, probably two o'clock in the morning. I'm like walking around the campus, this rehab, just like chain smoking cigarettes. Cause it's the only thing that would make me feel better for a little bit. Wow. And, uh, uh, there was like this little chapel on the, um, 
on the the campus there and the story around that chapel. And I don't know if it's true or not, but um, this rehab was in Nashville and apparently Johnny Cash had been there several times and the stories that Johnny Cash paid to have this chapel built, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. But um, I was in this chapel and I had this little book that my parents had given me at Easter called God's Promises for Your Every Need. And it was like one of those books that's like verses for when you're happy, verses when you're sad, verses for when you're feeling whatever you're feeling. And, um, um, you know, I'm not crazy about using scripture that way now, but, um, but God really used it in my life at that point. Mm-hmm. So I flipped open, I found there's a chapter that's like God's, uh, you know, God's or God's promises for when you're suffering. I remember turning open the chapter and Isaiah 43, two was on there. And it's, uh, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you go through the flames, they will not consume you. And when the rivers uh, go over, you won't be swept away. Um, for I am the Lord, your God. And I remember like in that moment, God speaking to me and I thought God left me. I thought God, like if there was a God, he was a bad person. Like I thought all these things. And in that moment, I just remember God being like, no, I've been here. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've been here alongside you the whole way. And like, it's kind of the, the only reason you're standing here today is because of that. And I remember it being like, it didn't like, it wasn't like the light bulb moment. None of my walk with Jesus was the overnight altar call moment where everything was perfect the next day. Like, I wish, I love those stories. I think they're amazing. I don't want to demean those stories. They're incredible. I'm very jealous of those stories because my story felt a lot like a, a long trudge. And I think that's most people's stories, right. like this long trudge towards the cross that it's not pretty, it's not miraculous, it's ugly, it's painful, it's hard. And uh, and God works through it anyways. And that in and of itself is kind of miraculous, but it's not yeah, like what exactly. we think, you know what right, I mean? Right. It's not, not what we think. It's not sensational um, like we think, yeah. Right. So that that just kind of opened me up to the idea of, of like Jesus being something that could, that could help me. And, uh, and then, you know, fast forward, I think my dad said this a little bit, but, you know, to wrap up my story to where I am today is, you know, I'm at this church and I'd been there for years and try and my, my talents and gifts are starting to come back. I'm doing good at school. Like, I'm like, Oh, I can actually do something with my Mm -hmm. life, which was new to me. Um, and, and I was starting to figure out what I wanted to do. And I just felt God pulling me towards ministry and the church I was at gave me opportunity after opportunity to learn and to, to teach and to um, be discipled. And um, mm. as that happened, like it became more and more clear, like, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I always thought I would work in addictions ministry just because oftentimes when you go through something, you're like, mm. oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help people who've been through the exact same thing. But uh, I remember they really needed volunteers in the kids' ministry. So I was like, oh, I can do that. Like, I got free time. So I jumped in, and I remember meeting these students, and uh, Mm. they were awesome. I loved them. They were amazing. Like, they were so much fun to be around. And and to me, honestly, it was a miracle. They let me be around kids. Like, And the first time I tried, they actually, they did my criminal background check, and they were like, uh, no, thank you. (laughs) Uh, But then as I got to know them better... As I got to know them better, they uh, they gave me opportunities here and there. And wow. being around those kids, I realized like this is where it happened for me. Like yeah, this yeah. was the age where That's I it. started to go the other way, where I started to ask big questions, where I started to experiment with drugs. Yeah. And I just like I, I poured my time in there as much as I could. And then, wow. very long story short, now I get to do student ministry at the same church who who was a huge part of, of wow. saving my life and. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd be the, be here today if it wasn't for them. And, um, you know, I get to pass on the grace that is, has been given to me uh, to students. And, you know, this generation right now is, is, is 
struggling in so many ways, but is also yeah. beautiful in so many ways. Like yeah. it's a hard time to be a student. Like they they have access to so many things um, and so many different perspectives and so many different distractions pulling on their yeah. their brains and um, and it, it is a hard time to be a student. And I'm grateful to to be where I am working with the students that I am at the time that I am doing it in. Yeah. Uh, because I just see so many similarities of where I was at. But they're also this generation that is so passionate and loving and yeah. socially conscious. Like these kids care more about people like people who are in hard situations yeah, than sometimes feel like I do. And it's beautiful. And I'm encouraged by them and pushed by them. So that's it's it's crazy to me that I get to do ministry here and I, I love it. And you know, it's yeah. it's a it's a privilege. I love that you you've kind of connected the root, right? I mean the the genesis of your addiction was at that age. And you said at the beginning of this, it wasn't, it wasn't that you had any kind of like hard traumatic life as a lot of people, as they resort to drugs or, you know, that kind of a lifestyle to cope. You just had this insatiable curiosity, kind of this void that you didn't, you didn't understand that only the Lord could fill at the time. And now you're getting to speak that over students' lives and help yeah. them understand that, that like, Hey man, like, this thing that you're feeling, this God-sized void in your heart can only be filled with one thing. And I've yeah. been down and, that road to, yeah. try to try to satisfy it with any other means possible. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the thing that I've noticed is like, my addiction story is very, very similar to everyone's sin story. Like it's, yeah. it's the same thing. It's this like yeah. cramming things, trying to make yourself feel better. And the thing that I, you know, have really realized and tried to press into is lots of times I think whenever we have a sin or a struggle that we're trying to move beyond, we focus so much on on stopping the behavior, mm. right? Like we focus so much on stopping the behavior, yeah. and and you know whenever I remember being in twelve uh, step programs, things like that, and I love twelve step program, like it played played a huge role in saving my life, like and uh, but there are you know there's struggles with everything, there's struggles yeah. with the church, struggles with twelve step program. I remember having to call myself an addict, and I really really struggled with mm. that idea. Um, like I, I didn't like I didn't want to be an addict for the rest wow. of my life, you know. Yep. But then I read, uh, you know, scripture, and it's like, no, you're a new creation. The old come is on. gone; the new has come. Or take off the old self and put on the the new self. Yeah. And I think lots of times what happens is we get so focused on behavior, yes, like, oh, I just got to stop looking at porn, or I just got to stop lying to people, or whatever it is, that we focus so much on taking off the old self that we forget to put on the new mm. self. Like we forget to put on our new clothes. That's right. So instead of going like, how can I stop this desire from happening? Because the reality is you probably won't, you yeah. probably won't stop the desire. You're still going to be tempted. You're still going to feel the desire to do whatever it is. Sometimes the question is instead like, how is this exact same thing about me? How is this insatiable curiosity and this rebellious attitude and this tendency to ask questions mm-hmm. and this undying need to feel okay and, and to get affirmation for people? How's that fulfilled in Christ? Yeah, that's right. Because these are things that God created me with, right? So like, they're not mistakes. They're not accident. I've just been trying to fulfill them in all the wrong right. ways. And I think lots of times we do this, like we focus on if your left arm causes you to sin, chop that bad boy off and we forget. Mm. that we're supposed to step into a new new creation yeah, and that for that me is what arm. changed everything mm. you know come on yeah you guys have both mentioned well in your own right you've mentioned jacob you didn't mention it jeff but you mentioned wrestling mm-hmm. it's like deep wrestling that's kind of part of your personality you mentioned it james jacob and that's all i've been thinking about is this this identity crisis that jacob had yeah. you know right at the, the fort of jabbok where yeah. he, he wrestles with mm-hmm. god and and god changes his name right breaks mm-hmm. his hip heals him, blesses him, and then changes his name. 
And it's a, he's a completely different person walking out of there. Everything that defined him as Jacob, right? Deceiver, supplanter, heel grabber. It was now completely yeah. new. And, yeah. and he was now Israel. One, one who, uh, uh, you know, on whose behalf God fights, right? That like right. the one God fights your battle. You don't have to go and fight your battles. You don't, you don't have to strive. You don't have to try to pine to get what you want. God will take yeah. care of it, right? That was the complete identity shift in Jacob. And, and I see that same thing in you. Yeah. Where what you're what you're speaking right now, Jeff, is this idea of it, it's it's so imperative to understand that that you are a new creation and you don't mm-hmm. have to be identified with your past. That doesn't define you anymore. Yeah, and and that's so that's so critical, I think, and that's the that is the distinction between a life with Christ and then just a self help kind of getting out of the right. pit. <laughs> Yeah, there's a story about that, Davey, that, uh, you know, you're so right. This this whole identity matter was what ultimately, mm-hmm. you know, came to be the, the, the paradigm shift for Jeff, where he realizes, you know, if anyone is in Christ, mm-hmm. is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, you know, yes, I've struggled with addiction, but that's not right. who I am deep inside. And so, you know, yeah. as his parents, you know, because Jeff has been through rehab before, and he's had seasons where he's done better. Um, you know, you, you kind of go through a, a form of PTSD where it's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, you're used yeah. to that phone ringing in the middle of the night or whatever else. And um, anyhow, one day at Thanksgiving, uh, we were together. It was a, a year or so later. And um, I just was kind of wary, what's going on with Jeff? And um, I pulled him aside, went out, you know, used the excuse of gassing up our cars. And so we're standing at the gas station and, uh, you know, filling up the tanks and um, uh, having this conversation. And uh, again, this goes back to the spiritual warfare matter where um, I I look at him and I think, okay, you know, things seem to be going really well, but, mm, you know, is he walking his back, watching his back and... I looked at him and I said, Jeff, remember, we have an adversary and he's powerful. And Jeff looked at me mm-hmm. and, and said, I know, Dad, <laughs> he has power, but he has no authority. <laughs> and at that moment, I knew, I knew, yeah, okay, this yeah. is, you know, I'm not making this happen. Okay. This is God's work wow. uh, in his life. And he realizes the authority of Christ. Wow. Um, and that is everything. I mean, it's, um, That's right. so, you know, we're, we're also, uh, we're in the wow. same city where Jeff is right now, and we're celebrating a, a special uh Kind of a special anniversary, Jeff. Do you want to mention what that is? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yesterday was was ten years. Um, wow. The the you know the last time I walked into rehab was ten years ago, which man. is crazy. Um, Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you, man. It's crazy to be in in double digits. And, you know, I want to, you know, be clear about a a, a few things. And and the first is like, even that 10 years, you know, I think lots of times in in sobriety and in recovery from any addiction, like we aim for perfection. And whenever I look at 10 years, 
Um, I see a whole lot of brokenness and a whole lot of struggles and a whole lot of mistakes. Um, and like, I think sometimes we have this like, like thing about us that's like, Oh, if I ever make a mistake, I'm back to square one, zero years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I remember get, I broke my arm and I got surgery and was taking pain meds to get through that surgery. And I remember struggling hardcore with that and sinning like in that. But, um, but I, you know, there's a, there's a, it's not about like the perfection of you walking forward. It's about, yeah. it's about how you receive grace whenever that happens. And, um, you know, I remember going to my community and my small group and being like, Hey, this happened. Like, mm. um, I'm really struggling. And like, we were all in tears, you know, all these grown men in tears. It was great. But, you know, I just remember them praying over me and like just recognizing the grace in that moment. So whenever I count 10 years, I don't count it as perfection. I count it mm. as provision from God, um, you know, and with the mistakes and with the ugliness. And the other thing is, you know, talking about identity and, you know, the way that Christ resets us, I I do want to say that, like, I think the other uh, end of that spectrum, the other mistake that we can make, I think sometimes, like I was talking to someone the other day um, and uh, they had kind of, I hadn't seen them in a while and they showed back up at church and I was like, oh my gosh, so good to see you. Where you been? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I relapsed again. And I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see you back. And I was like, are you going to go to treatment or anything? And he goes, no, no, I've got the best treatment in the world right here. Talking about the church mm. and God. And I was like, man, that's true on some level, but like also go to freaking treatment. Like, yeah. the, the, and I think we do that sometimes. It's like, yeah. no, I've got God. So I don't need any external help from anyone at all. And it's like, that's not the way that God works. Like no. God, he can, he can, if he wants to, but I, he prefers to work through people. He prefers yeah, right. to work through rehab and counselors and right. all the other things. So like, don't use God is an excuse for your lack of, of asking for help. Like go get help, you know? And I, I want to say that too, because I think it's easy to go, Oh, well, God gives me a new identity. So now I'm good. But while that is a part of my story, that, that new identity was received and, and you have to step into it and stepping into that new identity took treatment and counselors and confession and church and pastors and being real with my community. And I just think, you know, it's easy to like want a miracle and, and the want the miracle to be immediate, this like burning bush, everything's different now moment. Um, but oftentimes it's, it's slow and it takes time. So like, if you're someone who's struggling, like seek after God for sure, grow spiritually for sure. But like, also go to counseling, also go to treatment. Like if you had, you know, I don't know, I I don't want to impress on people, but if you had a medical disease of some sort, like most people would go to the doctor and pray, like do both, (laughs) you know? So, um, so I just, I always want to count that in because I, I I don't want to write off, you know, all the the tools that we have or that we can have at our disposal if we ask for help. That's so good. That's so good, Jeff. Well, you guys have written a couple books about this. I want to make sure that our community gets connected to these resources. And so, so one is hope lies ahead. And that's kind of a a lot of the story of your relationship together, this kind of wayward prodigal journey that you took, Jeff, what Mm -hmm. the Lord did to restore that, to bring that back, how you guys were able to reconcile and restore and what's going on now. Right. That's, that's that. Yeah. Yeah. That's hope lies ahead. Is this book prayers for prodigals? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Prayers for prodigals. Yeah, awesome. hope lies ahead. Awesome. And then Prince Jeff and I wrote uh, together as uh, kind of a split screen of you know kind of like what we've been doing now is we've been sharing back and forth what what was happening right. on 
on both sides. And it's kind of the backstory to this book, which came out earlier, uh, Prayers mm-hmm. for Prodigals. It's actually in a newer edition, but the cover is similar uh, now. But um, this is a book of cool. uh, scripture-based prayers uh, for people who love prodigals. And, uh, you know, we've seen God just do amazing things uh, with that book. And, um, you know, it, it's realizing now so much of what we went through, uh, we've, we've come into this place where uh, we're, as we were talking about, able to help people uh, and we yeah. never would have gotten here if we hadn't been down these roads that are just heartbreaking. But the, the beautiful thing that we've learned is that God wastes nothing. You know, he's able to take that road where you think, right. how could it ever come to this? How could we get here? And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like the, the path comes out and, and, you know, you see the sunrise and you realize, yeah, okay, you know, God has been able, I, I see him, I know him better, I'm, I'm closer to him, I don't want to be anywhere else, as long as I am where he is, <laughs> you know, that's, it's going to be okay. And I think that is such a metaphor for life. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's been a huge part of, of our journey that God, uh, you know, we, we mentioned Jacob, but also Joseph, you know, um, what he says to his brothers, mm-hmm. you know, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And, um, you know, right. a lot of this is beyond us, why it happens, how it happens, individual choice is such a, a huge part of it in our own sinfulness. But um, when we call Jesus Savior, there's reality to that identity uh, that is breathtaking. Yeah. And, and, you know. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Well, guys, this is, this has truly been a pleasure in hearing just a little bit. I feel like we just scratched the surface and I could <laughs> talk to you guys for hours about this. I wish we had the time to, yeah, but, um, sure. man, it's just so, so good to see what the Lord is doing in your lives. And, you know, Jeff, the ministry that you're carrying out through this story that you've in this journey that you've walked and then, James, the ministry that you're doing on your own front as well, but also just the encouragement as a parent. You know, I know we've got so many listeners and, and, and even as a parent myself, where there's a lot of those questions that are swirling around. There's a lot of deconstruction, so to speak, that's going on in the lives of young adults right now. And so you're seeing some of these parents who are having some angst around that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I appreciate just the, the you know, Christ-centered, spirit-filled conversation we've had right here. And it's really filled me up with hope. I know it's filled up so many of our listeners with hope as well. Um, We'll make sure that we put on the show notes here where you guys can get connected with uh, Jeff and with James and these resources. And But man, guys, thanks so much for spending time with me. It's been awesome. Thank you, David. Yeah, grateful to be with you, David. Thank you so much for for having us on. Thank you. Another amazing conversation that you had with uh, James and Jeffrey. Un- yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like we've had some stories before of parents who just faithfully prayed and like yeah, God moved. Have. Yeah. I mean, and it like is Christopher encouraging. Yuan, I think about. Yeah, that's you what know. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
It's a it's incredible to me, just as even a parent of teenagers, and I'm seeing my oldest son wrestle with the pressures of the world right now, mm. like um a kind of a a clarion call to keep praying. Like don't give right. up, don't give up, don't give up. Right, right. Yeah. It, it you know, it's I, you know, that long suffering, that perseverance, that idea of it, I just can't it's so difficult when you're not seeing the outcome that you're looking for. You know, a lot of times when we pray, we're looking for some kind of a result or outcome. Yes. And, you know, I I don't know if Batterson was the one that initially coined this, but I think I heard it from him first. I remember the book Circle Maker by Mark Mm -hmm. Batterson. He said that sometimes prayer changes your circumstances or your outcome, Mm. but prayer always changes your heart. Wow. Always changes your perspective. And so So as we enter into prayer, Mm. then what it does is it begins to align our hearts with God's heart. Mm. And so we're, we're able to go from this place of like, hey, God, I'm praying so that you will do what I want you to do. You'll (laughs) produce an outcome that I desire. (laughs) Yes. And you begin to surrender your desires to his desires Mm. because your heart becomes aligned. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and I think that's the the, act, the activity of prayer, what that does, and so so then God gives you the strength as you keep engaging with it. Right? That's one of those things you have to keep engaging with. He gives yeah. you the strength to long suffer. Wow! Yeah, while right? you're in deeper communion with Him, yeah. Instead of an outcome, it becomes about like intimacy with Him. Exactly. That's yeah, exactly and right. that gives you and that gives you the power to long suffer through seasons right, like this. Right. It is interesting to me to think about how um, James talked about spiritual warfare mm. in in light of his son's addiction, and I yep. do think that um, there's a conversation to be had about spiritual warfare in our pain and suffering and grief. And Mm -hmm. certainly, I mean, when you think about addiction, like certainly anything that leads to death is from the enemy, right? Like anything that tries to hold you captive is from the enemy. right? And so we know that um, spiritual warfare is at play in in so much of our pain and our suffering and our addictions and our idols. And yet I do think the enemy is so brilliant because he sort of erases himself from our theology. And so we forget we forget right. to even remember who our battle is actually against, and we yeah. forget to sort of enter into that spiritual warfare space. Yeah, it's so true. I, I you know, I remember Piper saying something about that, where it's like we kind of live in this um, just kind of going through the motions type of lifestyle in American Christianity, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. the enemy has lulled us to sleep with comfort oh, and so convenience. True. Yeah, where so we don't see spiritual warfare overtly like you do and maybe in third world countries where the enemy yeah. has a different tactic. C.S. Lewis yeah. actually talks about that in uh, the screw tape letters. Mm. But um, so, so now, you know, and, and Piper, I think the whole, I was the whole like famous make war kind of idea that he was, you know, that he was really championing years back was this idea of like, we're always, we have to always be mindful of the battle that's going on. Yeah. And this is Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6 tells us there is a battle waging. It is not a battle yep. of flesh and blood. It's a battle yep. in the principalities and the, yep. in the spirit world, the unseen. Yeah. And it's interesting that we started this talking about prayer because that is that is the battle. That is where the That's battle the is battle. waged. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, Jesus comes across his disciples trying to heal this this young boy at one point. Um, the dad is just desperate. This boy mm-hmm. keeps throwing himself kind of like epileptic type seizures. Mm-hmm. It was He was possessed by a demon. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And he keeps throwing himself in the fire. And the disciples, although they had been given authority to cast out the demons by Jesus, they could not. And yeah. they, they asked Jesus why. And Jesus said, this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. Unbelievable. So there's a level at which we can only engage in this mm. battle, not by might, not by strength, but mm. right by, it's a spiritual, it's by prayer. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, and then we'll dive into a little bit more of the spiritual warfare, but you remember um, Ender's Game, the book? Yeah, Ender's of Game. Uh-huh. I always liken it to that. So some of you guys, maybe you didn't read the book. I'm a nerd, so I read the book back when I had to for school, but I loved the book. It was amazing. I had to read it in it's middle school. It's such a cool book. Yeah, there was so a movie cool. a few years ago. There was, and yeah. I didn't think the movie really did it justice. Okay. Like yeah. many times books don't, or, right. you know, don't translate as well. So, right. But the idea is you have this, almost like a, it's almost like a Harry Potter type-esque. These boys are enlisted into this training military school. Yeah. And it's very futuristic. And so they're learning through simulators how to fight this like galactic battle mm-hmm. against alien forces or whatever. It's the battle mm-hmm. and it's the battle to end all battles is what it was yeah. touted as. Like this is going to this is the the war for the universe. Mm-hmm. So they've spent their entire upbringing training for this. And then they go into their last kind of test simulator to make sure that they can then be enlisted to go into the battle. That's if once they pass that they can be enlisted. And they get done with the simulator. They win this group of of young men now, they, and, you know, women. They they win the the simulator, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, we get to go into battle." And it's kind of like curtain opens up, and the commander goes, "That wasn't a simulator. That was the actual battle. You won and battle. saved the universe." Whoa. And that's like how the book ends. Whoa! And they're like, "Wait, what?" Wow. And, and the reason I liken that to spiritual warfare and prayer is because often we think that when we're engaging in prayer, like I approach prayer sometimes as preparation for the battle, mm. as a simulator to kind of, okay, I'm going to mm. pray to kind of get my heart ready for this yeah. for today and to make sure that wow. I, I, I see what that's doing. I understand that. Sure. But really, what if we approach prayer as the as battle? As the battle. It is wow. the battle. That's good, Davey. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. I I think if we approached it that way, our prayers would be really different, right? Like we were talking about before, you would not be praying as if you're talking to a genie or Santa Claus. You you would not be praying for outcome. You would be, I think, praying with the authority that Jesus has given us by his Holy Spirit, like against a lot, you'd be waging war. You know, there are some powerful intercessors in my life, I'm sure in yours too, Davey, that yeah. sort of understand what it means to do spiritual warfare. Right. I wonder, like, maybe pastorally for our listeners who are like, okay, I want to like pray in the spirit. I yeah. want to access sort of that authority and pray against the enemy's attacks. Where do I begin? Like, do you have like mm-hmm. handholds? <laughs> this is so interesting because this is very much in time for us, Aubrey. I don't, and again, I you know, we share stuff so much on different podcasts and on this podcast, and I've started appearing on other podcasts, so I don't know where I <laughs> You're like, stuff. I don't know if I've I'm already told this, this story before. <laughs> we are very much in the throes of, since the beginning of this year, Christy and I started this the beginning of this year with the 21 days of prayer and fasting. Mm. And since the beginning of this year, we have been just inundated with spiritual warfare at another wow. level, at a heightened level I've never experienced before. Wow. And I believe it. there is no coincidence. It's because of what God is doing in our ministry right now. Yeah. Because the doors he's opening up. And if Satan can get us distracted, discouraged, or disqualified in this mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. then he can foil what God is trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I think on, on one level, we have to recognize that. Yeah. We have to recognize there's a spiritual battle. One of the perpetrators of pain is a spiritual attack coming against us. Yeah. That there is a law that governs the natural world that Newton, his third law, he put together. He said, um, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. There's a similar law that governs the spiritual world. It's mm -hmm. not the same. It's similar though. For every action, every offensive action that you take for the kingdom of light, for God's kingdom, there is an opposite reaction. It's not equal, but it's yeah. opposite. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as you begin stepping out and you begin helping other people, building God's kingdom, mm -hmm. doing something for the kingdom of light, then all of a sudden the enemy sees and he starts enlisting his forces. He goes, wait a minute, so I got to take this person out at the beginning. If I can oh, cut man. them off at the so head, yeah. then I can foil what God wants to do in their life, mm -hmm. the purpose that they're supposed to live out. Mm -hmm. And so you will see a spiritual attack come against you. Now, praise God, this is not an equal. Seriously, force I do. You. I want to interrupt you for a second because yeah. I do think this is like for our for our listeners. This is why you may go, but wait, I stepped out in faith, or I did this yep. thing, and and this thing happened, or yes. it didn't work, or this bad. That's the enemy That's at the enemy. work, and so you have to press on yep. and not allow the enemy to take you out. Go ahead, David. Scripture tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah. Scripture yeah. tells us in the temptation of Jesus that as Jesus resisted the devil, the enemy left him and sought for another more opportune mm. time to come back and revisit him. Wow. And then angels attended to him and ministered to him. Mm. And so the, this is not an op, this is not equal, it's the opposite. It's coming against you, but it's not equal. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. No weapon formed against me can prosper. There's so much of God's promises that we can hold yeah. that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us, mm -hmm. right? And so we have to understand like that spirit in us is stronger yeah. and gives us the ability to resist. Ephesians 6 tells us when you've done everything that you can to stand, guess what? Stand. <laughs> stand. <laughs> right? Keep standing. Keep standing. So, yeah. um, you know, we've started experiencing this. Back in January, I was speaking at Indiana Wesleyan University's uh, summit week. It's, a, 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 you know, college here in yeah. Indiana and it was their kind of revival week. So it was six messages over the course of three days, mm. Tuesday night of that week. Um, I preached a message on forgiveness and I gave an altar call, like an old oh, fashioned wow. altar call to wow. salvation. Wow. What did not mince words. Wow. If you've never received Jesus Christ, if you've never given your life over to wow. Jesus Christ, your Lord and savior, I want you to walk down. Now, Christian wow. university Mm. at a night revival where you would assume everybody there has a relationship Everyone's with Jesus. Everyone's a Christian, right. So I felt almost like, I knew God told me you're supposed to do this. And I'm oh. like, man, Lord, could you at least have like five people come down? <laughs> right, right. So One to like two, so I don't look like an idiot, right. Yeah, and uh, mm. Aubrey, I cannot believe the response that we saw. 80 to 100 college students walked forward that night Christ, and Jesus. prayed to receive mm. Christ there at the oh, altar. Oh, I love that, David. It was That's unbelievable. Amazing. Wow. So I'm driving home that night. Mm. You know, Indiana Wesleyan is an hour for me. And I wanted to make sure I was, yeah. every night I was able to drive home, sleep in my own bed, wake up, take my kids to school, and then head back up for the next nice. session. Yeah. So I'm driving home. Christy had just taught her class back to the mm -hmm. garden that night. She was like an eight-week course that she was doing on Tuesday night. So she had just taught it online. I call her. I'm like, guess what? And I'm sharing this with her, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Guess how my class went tonight? And we're literally like, we're what? I'm, I'm driving on these back roads in Indiana and I'm seeing this thing that Christy and I have like, we've dreamt mm -hmm. about for years of like doing ministry on different fronts together yeah. and helping people heal and all this stuff. 
Mm. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's coming true. This is actually yeah. unfolding. Mm. We get home, we start to go to bed, and Cohen, our three-year-old, your youngest, yeah. our youngest, wakes up screaming, Mm-mm. petrified, terrified. Mm. Now, what I'm about to share with you, I don't, I don't want to scare anybody, but I want yeah. you to be aware of what's going on. I've yeah. never heard him scream like this before. Mm. And we rush into his room like something's wrong. And he is curled up in his crib, Aww. pointing at all of these different places in his room, going, monsters, 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 Aww, monsters. Baby. And so evidently he had some kind of night terror yeah. that happened. And there was yeah. no doubt in, in my mind that this yeah. was demonic activity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And very rarely do we see that take place that overtly yeah. Here, because of what I said earlier, yeah, we're lulled to sleep. But, but if you begin doing something for the kingdom mm-hmm. of God, the enemy is a punk. Yeah, totally. And he will attack the most vulnerable in your family. It's ridiculous. It makes me so mad. Like nothing makes me more mad than when Satan comes after my kids. Like yes. that's when I that's when I definitely like my mama's spiritual warfare comes out. Yes. Like you get away from my kids in Jesus' name. And we yes. have the authority to do that. That's what we Davey's do. talking about. Like yep. he who is in us is greater than the enemy coming after us. What, so what we did is we held Cohen, we rocked him, and we just declared Jesus' name over him. Yeah, yeah. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, just, you know, yeah. expel any any forces of evil that would be coming against him right now. Jesus' name. Yeah. We just kept saying Jesus over and over. And then we taught mm. him, if you ever see, there's no monsters. Look, we turn yeah. all the lights on. Yeah. There's no monsters, yep. buddy. There's no yep. monsters. But if you yep. ever think you see something, you just say, help me in Jesus' name. So we taught him, help me in Jesus' name. <laughs> oh, help that. me in Jesus' name. Yeah. And that's the thing. You have to understand that, that the name of Jesus is, in at the name of Jesus, it expels yeah. any forces of darkness. They that's cower right. and tremble at that name, okay? That's right. And so that is a practice that I would say, and then I would actually say, practically speaking, figure out what is that, this may sound a little bit weird and hokey to you depending on what kind of um, denominational background you have or, or, mm-hmm. or, or evangelical persuasion you have. Yeah, identify what that spirit is mm-hmm. and call it out. Yeah. Spirit of depression. In there, Jesus I was about name, to say spirit of bitterness. You can, right? Spirit yes. of bitterness. Yeah. In Jesus, spirit of fear. That's the one yeah. that's going to be predominant. That's also the most subtle. Mm-hmm. Spirit of fear, right? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a mm-hmm. spirit of mm-hmm. power and of love and of sound mind. Yeah, yeah. So spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, you have no authority here. Yeah. Be gone, right? Yeah. Christy and I actually started doing this, okay? Yeah. I don't know if she wants me to share this or not. We're just going <laughs> to... Sorry, Christy! In the middle of um, a disagreement that that mm. that is becoming a little bit heated between us, mm-hmm. we, will, we will say out loud, spirit of division, leave mm. us right now. Yeah, that's good. Kevin and I will do... We, we've said discord, spirit of discord, get away from us because mm-hmm. the enemy also definitely wants to do that yeah. in marriages. And yeah. that's what he's going to yeah. do. He's going to always come in and try to divide from within. So... Yeah. I know we've just taken a lot of time. We could talk about this forever, Davey, but I think talk about spiritual warfare again. I want to hear from you. So maybe next episode. I love it. We talk some more about that. We'll keep talking about it. I think we could, yeah, we could continue this conversation. And in fact, we want to give you tools like this. This one was very spiritual. We've got spiritual tools for you, we've got emotional tools for you, we've got practical tools for you to help in your healing journey, your pain to purpose journey. So we'd love to invite you to go to our website 
Find out more about our community platform and our Community Plus platform at nothingiswasted.com slash community. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. You can listen to his music wherever it is you do that. And we love engaging with you on social media. We're on Instagram at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Ob Samp. And next week, we have an incredible conversation with Rachel Faulkner-Brown, who someone I've been wanting to interview for a long time because of the work that she's doing with um, widows. Mm. And our circles have crossed many times, but this is actually the first time you'll find on this interview as we talk to her next week. This is the first time that she and I actually were able to sit down and have a conversation. Oh, wow. And hear her story and then hear what God has done in this unbelievable ministry that she is a part of founding called Never Alone Widows. And so go ahead and take a listen to a little clip from my conversation with Rachel Faulkner Brown. I'll talk about this because this is, you know, I'm kind of one of those unusual people who, you know, I've experienced so much death. And so there's this this piece of me, like I have two husbands in heaven who I was one with, you know, so there's just like a lot of my, a lot of who I am currently resides in the like real heavenly realms. You get this, but there's um, a monastery in Greek on Mount Athos. And it says, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die. Mm. And for me, because of like understanding that I actually died with Christ, Mm. you know? So when he died, I died. And when he was resurrected, I was resurrected into this new creation. And so Mm. because of the fact that I'm a new creation, um, I'm never going to die, Davey. You know, I mean, we are so, so wrapped up in this death culture and funerals and blah, blah. Right. I mean, right. like obsessed. There's a, there's, I mean, God, after COVID, we're even more obsessed. Let's just try right. and figure out how we can not die. And I'm like, y'all, I'm already dead. Like, why are we right. so like, which frees me up to release, to release my heart to a man who, yes, I am married to, but it also releases me into this union that I can never be separated from. And so equal parts, like Rod is getting the best version of me because it's me and Jesus. That's right. And I'm getting the best version of Rod because it's Rod and Jesus. And so every decision, every thought is informed by our spirit. Because I live out of my spirit. I do not live out of my soul. I don't live out of my body. Now, not all the time, obviously, yeah. but yeah. but I mean, the, the more I meditate and the more I think about union and the more I'm married into, like I'm baked in the cake. I am yeah. baked in the cake. And when you are baked in the cake, like you get forgiveness and you get... Yeah. Um, the righteousness and you get the mind of Christ. There's like these thousands of benefits that we just think that we're close to, or we've got to get, it's like, no, you've already got it. So what does that mean? And so I think for me, it's just like surrender and marriage is union, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and Rod and I are in union together, but he's getting the best of me because he's getting me unionized with Jesus. He's not getting, and and honestly, David, you know, this is a big thing for me too, because relationships, even, even the, the way that we identify a relationship with Jesus, like relationships take work, relationships can be broken. Well, union, there's no breakage. 
Hmm. Like I can't be ununionized from Jesus. Wow. I mean, it helps. Wow. It helps you like understand salvation. Like it helps you just go, gosh, I mean, I can't lose that. I mean, people yep. are just out there all the time, just going, I'm losing. That. I'm like, you can't <laughs> like, golly, yeah. just, just own it. It's yours, you know, mm-hmm. take his heart. And so I, I don't know. Does that answer your question? I, I feel Absolutely. like it's, it's just, you know, Absolutely. union has been like the last six months of my life has been yeah. all about what does that mean? We just don't have a handle on it as believers. Yeah. And, um, and when we do, um, and when we get a handle on that, we're already dead. I mean, it's such yes. a big thing for me because I just, I, I feel like, um, you know, the obsession to not die and even wellness, like that can become such mm-hmm. an idol, mm-hmm. um, you know, of healthy eating. Yep. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I can never, I could just, it's never, it's like, how good is good enough? Like I can never right, eat clean right. enough. I can never right. go to the naturopath enough. And all the, all those things are, are amazing. And I'm not saying eat cheeseburgers every day, but at the end of the day, like we've got to release ourselves to the blood of Jesus. 